0: If you can, turn to James 3 for me. We've been going through the book of James, and this is probably one of the most important passages in James, um, although I probably would say that for every passage if I preached on James, but the kids make fun of me because I always say this is my favorite portion of scripture every time I preach. So, But let's start reading in James 1, chapter 3. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses, so that they will obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can, salt pour, pond, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Dearly, Father, Lord, I just pray that you're with us this morning. Help us examine our lives and see where we need to control our tongue. Help us be honest with ourselves, Lord. Everyone around us can see that we struggle with this, besides ourselves sometimes, Lord. And I pray that this is the morning that you convict us to really start thinking about how to tame our tongue, Lord. So I pray that you're with me this morning as I as I preach, be with Pastor Brent as he's away from us. And just uh, thank you for this time. Amen. Today we're going to talk about taming the tongue. And ironically... Um, I was worried this whole entire week knowing that Brent wasn't going to be here um, because I was getting sick and I was starting to lose my voice. And I was thinking um, how ironic that is that losing my voice would be a perfect way of taming my tongue. Um, If I did, I was going to get Mr. Jones to come up here and preach at the last minute. Or I thought maybe we could just read this scripture silently and, and meditate on it for an hour. It would be appropriate. But before you kind of check out and thinking, hey, I don't really struggle with this, I'm going to be honest with you guys. When I started studying this passage, it's the first thing that kind of jumped in my mind. But then I read James 3, 2, where it says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Unless you are a perfect man, and this word um, in Greek really is probably better translated mature. Unless you're an extremely mature, complete Christian in this room, you struggle with this. And it really convicted me, really got me thinking, where do I struggle with my tongue? Maybe you're not crude, maybe you're not mean with your speech, but there's areas that you struggle. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Honestly ask yourself, is this true about me? Does everything I say build others up? Because if this is true about you, if this was true about every one of us in this room that is a Christian, that is a part of this church... This would be an amazing place. And don't get me wrong, I love this church and I think we're a very mature church. But this would be a little piece of heaven on earth. Because, as that verse 2 says, the tongue is powerful enough to control the whole body. So before we jump in this passage, I want to do a quick review of the book of James. And the book of James is really about heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. It's a book that has a lot of wisdom in it. It's kind of modeled a little bit off the Proverbs, but it has a main point. And this main point is this. If you claim to be a Christian, if you say you have faith, then don't just hear heavenly wisdom. Don't just hear what this has to say. Act upon it. That is that where that word perfect is teleos in Greek. It means mature and complete. When we act upon heavenly wisdom, we are teleos, Mature, complete. But, if you claim to be a Christian, you brag about your faith and ignore heavenly wisdom. You hear it, but you don't act upon it. You are a double-minded man, which James is going to say over and over and over through the whole book, that does not make sense. And if it's true about you, you may need to examine your own faith. Last week, we saw... Pastor Brent talked about how faith and works interact. And in James 2.14, it says this, what, is, uh, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? You have faith but no works. It doesn't make sense, James is saying. That's double-mindedness. But the mature, the teleos, the, the mature man, is like Abraham. His faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. True faith puts heavenly wisdom into action. And today we're going to look at putting heavenly wisdom into action by taming the tongue, our speech, what we say. James one twenty six. he's already touched on this subject he says if anyone thinks he's a religious or if thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart this person's religion is worthless James is saying if you go to church you, you know your Bible really well you feed the homeless you give money you sing loudly but don't control your speech it's worthless why is it worthless we're going to look at that today. Look at, look at verse 1. James starts by introducing the topic. James 3.1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged by a greater strictness. Teachers will be judged by a greater strictness. Why? Well, we talk a lot. If you ever come by the office and start a conversation with me or Brent or any of the other teachers, you, you'll find that's true. But we also use our mouth to influence people. We use our speech to influence people. And we also say that we're teaching from an authoritative source. I'm using the personal pronoun we because James uses it. Look at verse 1 again. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. James is saying even the apostles will be judged with a greater strictness. Now, this is not to discourage you. We need teachers. I don't want all my Sunday school teachers to quit. We're all called to teach in some capacity as Christians. The Great Commission says this in Matthew 28, 17. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That word in Greek means learners. Go and make learners Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. If you're a father in here, you're definitely called to teach. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this, this in James 3.1 is really just a warning to those that teach, and, and specifically in the teaching offices of the church as pastors and those that claim to have the gift of teaching. This is why I went to seminary as I felt the call to be a pastor. I wanted to be prepared to handle God's word. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best, meaning work at it. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who ha- has no need to be ashamed. Because, why? Because rightly handling the word of truth. This is why in seminary they study Greek, Hebrew, hermeneutics, systematic theology, biblical theology, church history, even philosophy. They're trying to get their, 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 their students that are called to the ministry to be prepared to handle this, to get preaching and teaching right. Preaching is not a casual responsibility. And you know, when I was going through seminary, I had people come and say things all the time like, Man, seminary is just a waste of time. Why are you doing that? We have the Holy Spirit, He's our teacher. We don't need to get prepared. Or the, this one the apostles were just fishermen, they weren't trained. You realize the apostles spent three years getting prepared with Jesus. It's the best seminary out there. Much of the time, Jesus just focused preparing the apostles to lead the church. In Acts three 1-3, it says Jesus spent 40 days with the apostles teaching about the kingdom of God. 40 days teaching the Old Testament and how the Old Testament is, is getting revealed in Jesus in the present time. Even Paul. Paul knew the Old Testament better than anyone. Paul knew the Scriptures better than anyone. He probably had the whole Old Testament memorized. Jesus spent three years with him before he sent him out. Apostles were taught well and prepared to lead the church. And here's my application. The reason why I wanted to talk about this is seeking to become a teacher is a good thing. The Bible says it's an honorable thing. And you know, what? we're all called to be teachers in some form. For you Sunday school teachers, that is a good thing. But balance that out with James 3.1. Realize it's a, it's a heavy responsibility. Don't seek a teaching petition, position in the church lightly. Second, Put yourself under pastors that take this verse in James seriously. I can tell you for, you for everyone that comes to this church, the men that I work with take this verse seriously. If you're not a part of our church, if you're just visiting today, you're looking for a church, find a church that the pastors take this verse seriously. But I want to talk about how this verse fits and how this passage of scripture fits into the previous passage, because that's the question we need to ask. How does faith and works connect to teaching? Well, verse 2 gives us that connection. Look at verse 2. For we are all, all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Teaching is introducing the real topic that James wants to talk about. This topic applies to Everyone. And it's less about teaching, and it's it's more about what one says. Last week, James uh, two four we went over says this: What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? If someone says says he's a Christian, says he has faith, but there's no evidence of it. What good is that faith? Last week's passage, what Brent preached on, if someone boasts about his faith, yet has no works, no fruit, and does not listen to heavenly wisdom, hears it but doesn't act upon it, he is a double-minded man. Today, if someone boasts about their faith, yet cannot control his tongue, he is a double-minded man. That's how these passages connect. I have an example of uh, a friend I worked with in college. This friend was uh, very proud of his Christian roots and being a a Christian conservative especially, a proud Republican. Um, He often, in the job that we worked at, belittled people. He often uh, really acted like a jerk as how he spoke to people. At the same time, he would talk about his Christian faith. And there was very few people that really liked this guy. And this is a perfect example as I was going through this of a double-minded man. Now, let me say, with, with we could easily pick out people like this in our lives, saying, hey, that person's a double-minded man. But as I said when I started studying this passage, I realized that there's plenty of places in my life where I'm that double-minded man. So let's not think of other people. I challenge you, really think, where in my life... Am I double minded on this topic? Someone can say he has faith, but if he's a gossiper, slanderer, they're overly critical, judgmental, just plain negative, crude. And James says it doesn't make sense. He uses an illustration. He says it's like a body without a spirit. It doesn't make sense. The tongue is powerful. The tongue has the power to cause maturity, teleos, and also has the power to cause double-mindedness. Verse 2, it says again, if we all stumble in many ways, or we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect teleos, mature man, able to bridle his whole body, but it also causes double-mindedness. Look at verse 9, chapter 3. With it, the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. The tongue is powerful. We're going to look at four powers the tongue has today. The power to direct, the power to destroy, the power to be undomesticated, and the power to cause double-mindedness. We start with the power to direct, and we see verse 2 again. It says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. The tongue has amazing power to direct or control us. The whole body, you're going to see this word over and over again um, through this passage, and that just means you, all of you, that's why in James, or that's why James can say in James 1:26, "If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless, because if the tongue is out of control, you are out of control." How is this possible? How does the tongue have so much power? Well, James gives us two very insightful illustrations to answer this question. The first one is found in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. I love horse analogies in Tehachapi because we're a horse community, and so we can picture this. Horses are big and powerful. I have two of them that live right across the street from me. I went to the rodeo for the first time. I've lived in Tatum my whole life, and I've gone for the first time last year. We had a great time, but i tell you what. When I went to the rodeo, the only thing I wanted to see was the bull riding. And they put that at the last, I think, so you sit through everything else to get there. But as I was watching the rodeo, something got me that was more crazy than I feel like the bull riding. That was the horse riding when they were broncoing. And these cowboys were on them and getting flown through the air like ridiculously high and landing like on their head. That horse was powerful. And it blew me away. But then what really blew me away was like right after that, they get the, the uh, barrel racing contest going. And here's these little girls on these powerful horses, controlling them and turning them like on a dime as they're going through barrels. And I realize that this is a perfect analogy. How does the little girl control such a powerful horse? Small bits in the horse's mouth. If you control the horse's mouth, you control the whole horse. In a similar way, if you control your own mouth, you control you. How is that, though? How does the mouth have so much control over the whole person? Well, we get more information in the second illustration. Look at verse 4. Look at the ship also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. Again, here's a small, large analogy. A powerful, big ship. Small rudder that controls it. But he adds something in this illustration. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. Here's the point. The rudder doesn't really direct the ship. The pilot does. In the same way, the bit doesn't really direct the horse. The rider does. And in the same exact way, the mouth doesn't really direct the man. The heart does. Your heart directs you. Your heart is the real you. It controls you. I had a a counseling professor that says it's the mission control center of you. This is what James is saying. The heart and the mouth are so deeply connected that whatever comes out of your mouth is what the heart is. The mouth exposes the heart. It's the informer of the heart. Think about this. Jesus says something similar in Matthew 12, 33 through 30, 37. Either, this is what he says. Either make the tree good and its fruits good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Right? If you have a tree that, that thinks it's an apple tree, or you have someone saying, hey, this is an apple tree, but it produces oranges, it's not an apple tree, it's an orange tree. <coughs> In a a similar way, if a person says he is good, but the only thing that comes out of him is evil fruit, then that person is evil. Jesus continues in verse um, 34. You brood of vipers... How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasures brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures brings forth evil. Jesus is saying, don't claim to be good if the only thing that comes out of your mouth is evil. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then this verse gets scary this passage gets scary in verse 36. It says this, being that the heart and the mouth are so closely connected, Jesus says in verse 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Why is this so? Because words expose the heart. And the heart is the real you. If you have a tongue problem, you have a heart problem. This is why James talks about the tongue right after teaching faith without works is dead. Nowhere is the relationship between faith and works more evident than in a person's speech. So where are you today? What comes out of your mouth? Only uplifting, God-honoring, others-loving words? Because whatever comes out is what's in. But here's the, the interesting and amazing implication that I think James is trying to get across here. Since the tongue has the power to direct and control because it's so connected to the heart... Then controlling your tongue controls you. This is why James says in verse two, "If anyone does not stumble in, in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body." This, this sermon becomes very practical here. Listen to this. The application is this: Your tongue and your heart are so profoundly connected that if you can control your mouth, you can control your heart, which is what controls you." It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. I mean, think about it. The hardest member of your body to control is your mouth. Why? Because it always has an opportunity to sin. You can speak always. There's other sins that you can't do unless you have the opportunity to do them. But you can speak whenever. And secondly, you can do it instantaneously, without thinking. It just comes out. We all had those moments where something came out and you wish you could grab it. (coughs) So if you can control the hardest member... The rest of you is easy to control. Let me give you some examples. Do you struggle with being ungrateful? Work on speaking about the things you are grateful for, and you'll become more grateful. Do you struggle with depression or self-pity? Work on speaking positively, and it will help with that depression. Do you struggle with being critical or judgmental? Work on speaking encouraging words. Compliment people. Do you struggle with fear of man issues? Work on boldly speaking the truth in people's lives. Or how about this? Go door to door and share the gospel. Do you struggle with always dwelling on the negative? Work on speaking positively. Think the best of people and put it into words. Do you struggle with anger? Speak kindly. Do you struggle with pride? Compliment others. Don't be sarcastic or mean. And remember this. We've talked about this a lot of recent. Your blind spots are only blind to you. Everyone else sees them. Not because they see them, but because they hear them. It's coming out of your mouth. Humble yourself enough to give people permission to keep you accountable. And don't be angry when they do. Because the heart also has the power to destroy. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire is, is set ablaze by a small fire. Again, another small, big analogy, or illustration he has here. <clears throat> the tongue is small, yet it boasts of great things. A smart, or spark is small, yet it sets a whole forest on fire. We know this in California. One cigarette, one campfire, one chain that sets a spark off into a field and massive destruction. The first two illustrations talk about the controlling nature of the tongue. The second illustration, or this last illustration, talks about the destructive power of the tongue. One commentator put it this way, the destructive potential of the tongue is graphically pictured by a forest fire. Thousands of acres of timber may be be destroyed by a small spark. In the two former illustrations, animals and horses are controlled by a small object. In this illustration, a huge forest is destroyed by a tiny spark. The tongue likewise either can control or destroy. The tongue controls and destroys. Because, verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue has astonishing power to destroy. Proverbs sixteen twenty-seven says, "A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. His feet, is, his his uh, speech destroys." Proverbs twenty-six twenty says this: "For the lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer." Whisperer as slanderer or gossiper, the fire ceases. No no whisperer, no fire, no destruction. But the tongue is also a world of unrighteousness, verse 6. The tongue nature is to destroy. One commentator said this, world, cosmos in the Greek, does not here refer to the earth or universe, but rather to a system, scheme, or arrangement. In this case, it is a system of unrighteousness, of evil, of rebellion, of lawlessness, and every other form of sin. It is the source of unrighteousness, ungodly behavior within sinful man. It breeds and gives vent to every sort of sinful passion and desire. Another commentator describes the tongue as a scheme of fleshly humanness. No other body part has such a far-reaching potential for disaster and destruction as the tongue. This is why Proverbs fifteen twenty says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. The righteous person knows the destructive power of the tongue and thinks about what he says before he says it. Where are you? Do you think about your words, or do they just come out? Because, James keeps going, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, staining the whole person. If the fire doesn't get the person, the smoke will. Because smoke stings. Sarah and I were going to buy a house about three years ago. And um, uh, this house was redone, fresh paint went in there and, and we really liked the house and as we went through the escrow process, the day before we were going to sign papers, we went back to the house and as we walked in the house they smelled smoke it was seeping through the paint smoke stains, it's like the boy that cries wolf, right? your speech stains too The two times he lied the third time, the stain of his line no one listened to him or maybe your speech is judgmental That will be stuck on you, and it will be hard to get off. James also says, setting your tongue, setting on fire the entire course of life. I mean, James doesn't take this subject lightly. The tongue sets on fire the entire course of life. Then the talk about power. It destroys other, it stains the entire person, and also the, it, it destroys the entire course of life. What does that even mean? It destroys everything. A person that doesn't use his tongue in a godly way will destroy relationships, marriages, individual lives, families, schools, churches, communities. The entire course of life will be destruction. And that life will be destroyed because disaster surrounds that person. Like a fire, it just wipes out everything. And then James takes it a step further. And set on fire by hell. He's using a verb, and you don't see it in English as easy um, as you do in Greek. He's using a verb on purpose here in two different ways. It's inflame the active voice and the passive voice. In in the active voice, he's saying inflaming the course of life, so your tongue inflames the course of life. But then here he uses it in the passive voice, being inflamed by hell. Meaning people's tongues are being used by hell to destroy. And he uses an interesting word in the Greek here for hell. It's actually the word that that means the valley of um, Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom is, let me read a little bit about it. This is the only place it's used outside of the Gospels. It is a deep gorge southwest of Jerusalem where trash, garbage, and the bodies of dead animals and executed criminals are dumped and continually burned. The location had originally been used by Canaanites and even some Israelite worshipers to sacrifice their children as burnt offerings to the pagan god Moloch. When the terrible practice was halted by the godly king Josiah of Judah, 2 Kings 23, the place was considered to be too unclean for any decent usage. It therefore came to be used as a garbage dump, where all the filth of the city of Jerusalem and surrounding areas was taken to be burned. Because the fire burned all the time and maggots were always present, the Lord used the valley of Hinnom, to represent the eternal, never-ending torment of hell, the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9, 43-44. Uh, hell is Satan's place, prepared for him and his demons. As such, it is used here as a synonym for Satan and, the de- and his demons. James is saying careless speech is used by Satan. Now let me be clear on this. Your speech comes from your heart, not hell, not Satan. It comes from inside you. But as it comes out, Satan uses it to destroy. You know, at this point, as I was doing my study, I'm like, man, James, aren't you being a little over the top on this subject? But the tongue is powerful. It has the power to destroy. You can all think of examples of church splittings, Marriage is destroyed, relationships destroyed, careers destroyed. It's powerful, but here's the deal it's also powerful in the positive sense. It has the power to build up. Right? Growing up, I grew up here in Tehachapi. Um, I struggled in school. Uh, I struggled. I'm still a horrible reader and speller, but I struggled. I was way behind in those subjects. Um, I was held back in second grade. Uh, I barely got by as I went through elementary school and high school. And honestly, I I just thought I was stupid. I was a confident guy. I was good at sports and a couple other things, so I I wasn't like a a guy walking around with my head down all the time, but I I just never thought I was smart. Um, And I never thought I'd go to college, and the only reason I ended up going to college was because of basketball. I got a coach who wanted me to come play for him. And I played basketball in college, and I barely got 2.0. You have to have a 2.0 to play. And it was, that's that and D's. I barely got it. And I didn't think I'd ever finish college. I was just doing it to play basketball. Um, but my sophomore year, I had an ethics class. And it was mostly debating and talking, so I didn't have to write a lot. And 40, there was like 40 students in this class. And it, was a, it was a pretty big class. And the teacher was a very intelligent man. And he told a student something that I obviously never forgot. He said, because the student missed the whole week, hey, get notes from one of the smarter kids in the class. And he named three kids, and I was one of them. Talk about amazing power. From that point on, I could I almost brought my transcript here so you could see it. Straight A's. Straight A's. I, I never, from that point on, not just through college as I finished, but through my master's degree as I finished. The, the tongue has amazing power to build up, and you can use it to build people up. The tongue also has the power, talk about power, the power to save. Romans 1.16 says this, this is Paul talking, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. At my graduation, Al Mohler spoke, and he spoke a a speech, he named it, and he opened his mouth. And he used uh, Acts 10.34, which says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, and what did he say? He said the gospel. He shared the gospel with Cornelius, who was the first Gentile to be saved in Acts and through the tongue and through the mouths of the apostles, thousands were saved, as you read through Acts. And through the tongues of those thousands, millions were saved. And every single one of you today that is a Christian, that's in the faith, has been saved by God through a man's mouth. Either spoken or written. I mean, that's power. The tongue has amazing power. It has power to direct. It has power to destroy. We learned there that it has power to build up, it has power to save, but it also has the power to be undomesticated, untamable. So powerful it can't be tamed. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Man has amazing control over the, the animal world. I mean, think about, we already talked about horses. But but I've seen people riding elephants, I've gone to circuses where they have lions, killer whales at SeaWorld, control over it, verse eight, but no human being can control or tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's untamable, uncontrollable. And you know, at this point I was confused. I'm going through this passage, and James is saying, You need to tame the tongue, and then he just jumps out and says, You can't tame the tongue. And this is where I think the gospel is found in James. a lot of people say there's a lack of gospel in James. A A lot of people in history don't like James, as Brent has talked about, because of that. But this is where the gospel is. James says, heavenly wisdom says, control your tongue. Heavenly wisdom equals controlling your tongue. Then James says, you can't control your tongue. You are hopelessly enslaved to sin without the power of Christ. One commentator said this, when James says no man can tame the tongue, James is um, stating that no man by himself can subdue the tongue. This is not to say that God cannot bring it under control. While the tongue cannot be controlled by man, the tongue of the regenerate person can be controlled by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Those that are born again have the power to control their tongue. Another commentary said, When God transformed us, he gave us the um, capacity for new, redeemed, holy speech, and he expects us, as his children, to speak only that which is holy and right. Through the power of Christ, we have the uh, the capability now to control our tongue. Yet, in its natural state, when you let it go without controlling it, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. For those that are saved in this room, we have the power in Christ to stop that poison. So the tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to destroy. The tongue has the power to be undomesticated. And the tongue also has the power to cause double-mindedness. Verse 9, with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That does not make sense. How can you say we love God, but then curse God's image? Man is made in the image of God, not a perfect image because of the sin that's in man, but man is made in the image of God in his um, intellect, in his reasoning, in his moral nature, in his emotion, will, creativity. And this is especially true for Christians. If you are born again, you are born again into the likeness of God. Therefore, how can you curse other Christians and claim to love God? Other Christians even have God living within them. So how can you bless God and curse Christians? It doesn't make any sense. If you said to me, Nathan, I really love you, but I really hate Sarah. How do you think I would respond to that? And the church is called the Bride of Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. If you came up to me and said, hey... Nathan, I love you. And there's some things that Sarah needs to work on. I love her and I want to see her grow. Maybe you can help her through this, or maybe I can talk with her and help her through. It. That's different. If you say that about the church, that's different. Or someone in the church, that's different. But Christ loved Christians so much, he died for them. How can you say you love Christ, and then talk badly about those he loved? Verse 10, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be, so it does not make sense. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth uh, from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? These are rhetorical questions, no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And the same is true as those that claim to be Christians yet don't control their tongue. Let me be clear here. Gaining control over one's tongue is evidence of saving faith and a changed heart. It does not save you. It's evidence of salvation. James is saying here, don't be double-minded. Don't be those that say they're Christians, but their speech doesn't match it. That they're in the faith, but they talk badly about people. Let me give you four application points and we'll be done for today. The first one we've talked about, if you control your tongue, you control you. If you control your tongue, you control you. If there's areas in your life you're struggling with, work on your tongue. Second point, application point. If you don't control your tongue and claim to be a Christian, you are a double-minded man. I'll tell you what, I struggle with this. I'm trying my hardest to be the same man I am here at church as I am at home. And there's double-mindedness in my life. But I'm trying, and this is one of the reasons I really love people living with with me. and Sarah. We've had people live with us um, time and time. We have someone living with us right now. It causes me to really think of who I am at home as I am at church. You know what's funny is most people that say, I'm not going to be this double-mindedness, they act the way they do at home at church. They start saying, I'm just going to be honest with people. I hate everything, da-da-da, going. <laughs> it's better to do the opposite. <laughs> but let's keep double-mindedness out of this church. You know, the other thing is, too, what's neat about going through James again is Pastor Andy went through James soon enough that we have all his recordings. And so I listened to this sermon, that he's, he, and he said a couple of things that I'm like, hey, I never thought about that, but we are way more honest, or we, we let our heart out more with the people we love. Work on it there. Tame your tongue there. That's true for me. Three, don't be double-minded in your speech so that your children will, will see a good example so that your children see a good example. Again, this is another point that Pastor Andy made that I didn't really think about until he said it, but, but raise your hand if, if you want your chil- if you have children and you want your children to be mature in faith. Raise your hand. Control your tongue. Control your tongue. This is not a guarantee. Okay, your kids still can walk away from the faith, and if your, if your child has walked away from the faith and you you, you were a mature Christian and a good example for them, it's not a guarantee. But I tell you what, I don't know how many parents come to me and say, Nathan, you, you have such an influence in my child's life. I'm with your child three hours a week, maybe, at the most. You have the influence in your child's life. Don't be double, double-minded at home. You know what's the number one reason? It's always number one or number two why kids say they walk away from the faith. Now, they walk away from the faith because of their their heart, but why they say they walk away, the excuse they use to walk away from the faith. The church is full of... Where do you think they get that from? I'll tell you one thing. If you're double-minded at home, you're one way at church, and, and your words, you say you're in the faith, and your words are different at home one of two things is going to happen one your child's going to be a double minded person or two your child's going to resent you as parents for being hypocrites now again like i said that's not a guarantee so i don't want to beat up people that have their children that have walked away from the faith that doesn't mean you're a bad parent it's heart issues but you want to give your, chan- your child the best chance of being a mature Christian, work on your tongue. The fourth application point. And this is something that we really need to work on. In today's world, it's not just the tongue we need to be careful about, it's the fingers. Be careful what you post on Twitter, on Facebook, or whatever. Don't wreck your testimony if you want to win an argument or you want to get a point across. If you can't control what you post, don't post anything. I see more double-mindedness on Facebook. It amazes me. And you know, the crazy thing about it for me on Facebook is when you talk, it just comes out instantly. But when you write it, you you have a moment where you're going to push post, and then after you push post, you you can go back and delete it. Yet so many Christians don't. I see double mindedness all the time on Facebook, and it and, and that's a hard one. Philippians four eight says this: Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. And I'll tell you what, you can't write something unless you you think about it first. Or say something unless you think about it first. So here's my advice. Get this, print it out, put it next to the computer. Write whatever you're going to write and investigate it. Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it true? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? And if it's no, then don't post it. I mean, I don't mind speaking truth. We're called to speak truth, and that's powerful to speak truth, but we're called to speak truth in love. And if that in love's not on there, don't speak. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unworthy talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If it's not building people up, don't. Write it, don't say it, don't post it. Keep these verses in your mind as you guys are taming your tongue. Evaluate, is what I say or write in this? I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the, the group if you guys will come up and see the doxology to dismiss us. Um, let me pray. Dear only Father, Lord, just, God, I know how, how hard it is to tame the tongue. It's impossible. It's untamable. Yet through the power of Christ, through what you've done on the cross for us, we can tame our tongues. And we're held accountable to that. Lord, help us in this area as a church. Oh, we have such a great church here, Lord. I thank you for making me a pastor over such a, such a mature church, Lord. But there's room for us to grow. Help us grow, Lord. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures.